Today's scripture is from the New Living Translation, 2 Samuel 23, 1-5. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The Rock of Israel said to me, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is like the morning is like the light of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. Is it not my family God has chosen? Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. He will ensure my safety and success. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dana. Well, awesome to be together. Good morning again to everyone. Uh, We've just started a new series of messages called Against All Odds. Against All Odds. And uh, Pastor Norb uh, last week talked about Abraham and reminded us of the courage and faith uh, of this man who uh, stepped out to walk with God against all odds. And uh, by the way, so good to have Tina home. I know you've been praying for Tina. Tina has been in Cleveland uh, where her brother has been very, very, very sick. And, uh, but I think by God's grace, he's turned a corner and is getting stronger. So thank you for praying, you that knew uh, that uh, he was really, really, really low. And uh, we're so glad to hear the good news in our prayers for you, Tina. This morning I want to introduce you to a few names that maybe you've uh, forgotten, or names that you never really uh, knew, or if you read them, uh, it kind of uh, didn't really register. Uh, it's a little different, you know, when someone says uh, that their name and uh, you quickly forget it because you're trying to think of your next line. Have you ever done that? It's like, oh, I, I, oh what was their name after all? Well, these names are a little bit off the beaten track. They're not your common everyday names like Bob Salmon, Harry. Uh, these are Eleazar, uh, Shema, Abishai, Benaiah. Remember those names? No? Nobody remembers those names? Uh, do you remember the story of uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table? Some of you may have seen the old, old movie, and I just recently, uh, for fun, watched the trailer of the Knights of the Round Table, uh, produced in 1953. Oh, how movies have changed since 1953. The Knights of the Round Table were characters of the legends uh, in, uh, about King Arthur, Uh, They were the best knights in King Arthur's kingdom, and they lived in King Arthur's uh, castle, which was called Camelot. Uh, They were called the Knights of the Round Table because there was a special table that was round instead of rectangular, that it meant that everyone who sat around it was seen as trustworthy and equal. King Arthur as the legend says, lived in the 5th or 6th century A.D. 
But most of the stories are all legends that have grown up, but they're interesting and they showcase to us the best qualities of soldiers who come alongside of their king. However, there were some knights of the round table that preceded King Arthur. And our story this morning from Scripture is the Knights of the Round Table that surrounded King David thousands of years before. So I invite you uh, to snuggle into your hiking boots and uh, come on a little uh, hike with me this morning to some unexplored territory. Don't you like to go some, to some new areas that you've never been to before? Or if you have, maybe you've forgotten. And just enjoy the walk. And just see if there might be a rock or two that's worth looking under just a little bit that might be of benefit in, in your life. Just roll it over. Just roll it over. Be courageous enough to take a look at it uh, and see what God might have for you. Here's the first one. Honoring those whose shoulders you stand on. If you're following in your scripture, it's 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23 unfolds with the last words of David. These are, these are his last words, or some of his last words. These are the concluding words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The story of David... The king of Israel has ended. The writer of the book of Samuel concludes with one of David's psalms. But David was not only a soldier and a statesman, but he was also a man who was a master strategist. And beyond that, he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. I kind of like how the New Living Translation puts it. He was uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a singer of great songs. So they had a king who was extremely musical. He was a musical king. I love how God brings people into our lives that we so deeply admire and we respect and learn from. I was in San Diego last weekend for the North American Baptist Foundation meetings. And the purpose of, of this foundation and of these meetings is to teach stewardship education to our 400 churches and to raise capital funds for churches that are undergoing building projects like, like we've done here at TCC, and to help individuals look around and see how God has blessed them and do some planning in their own personal lives. Where will you, your assets go when you pass away? Uh, have you thought about what you will do? Have you, have you thought about furthering God's kingdom by uh, leaving some of those assets to the work of ministry here or around the world. One of my heroes in the conference of churches to which we belong, the North American Baptist Conference, is a man called Connie Selyus. And uh, there he is. He's the second fellow from the, from the right. And uh, we invited Connie to the foundation meetings in San Diego and we used it as a time to honor this man. He's 91 years old and just as sharp as a tack. Uh, he can lead a discussion in a board meeting just like he was 30 years younger. Uh, he's amazing. But he had a vision for the foundation years ago 
that would help people see the blessing of God in their lives and that God has blessed them. And to know again that, God, that everything that God has blessed them with actually belongs to God. And, and that God is the owner of all. And so that truth really beat very strongly in Connie's heart. So he said when he was a young man that he and his wife, after having two sons and a daughter, they decided to adopt another child. And they called her Charity. And he told his family right from the beginning that everything belongs to God. And that when he and his wife die, and Harriet is already gone, that the assets will be divided between his three children and their new daughter, their child, called Charity. Well, through the years, he's become well-known for his, his heart for Charity. And Charity is not a child, as you have put together. A child, a Charity is his support for the foundation, is, is his, his support for missionaries around the world. His support for God's kingdom and the things that are closest to his heart. So right from the very beginning, he put charity in his will. And so this weekend, he, he was in San Diego and he talked about charity. And when he goes home, charity will receive a good part of his estate. And his children all know that and that's been his, his, his heartbeat all his years. And God's kingdom will be blessed and he is so excited to bless charity. Connie has a special place in my heart because uh, when I was real new in the ministry, Connie came to visit Mark and I in Ontario. And one night while he was there and we were up late, at midnight the phone rang and it was a man dying in the hospital. And Connie came with me and the visit was precisely timed by the Spirit, as always is. And we were able to help this dying man uh, cross the line of faith. And what was so cool was the fact that the next day this gentleman slipped into a coma and had no longer any ability to communicate and, and he passed away a little bit later. But I always look back on that memory as a memory shared with a man I deeply admire, Connie Selyus. Honoring those who have gone before. Look at your family history. Look at the people God has put into your life. Do you see how you are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before you? I don't know as much about my ancestry as I would like to know. Marg and I were just saying the other day, it would be interesting to know a little bit more about our, our family tree. But I know I had a grandpa who came to this country as a young man, 20 years old. Uh, just got married, moved to Canada from England, and he was courageous, and I know he took his stand for God in the community. Against all odds, he started a Sunday school in a little church in the community. Now, that's not easy. I realize that now, I, that, that's not easy when you're in a very small community, and often there's talk and there's discussion in small communities, and he raised up a ministry... Uh, in a rural farming community. I stand on his shoulders. And you have people in your life that you're standing on. Your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, a friend. Give thanks to God for the shoulders of people that you stand on. David, in these early verses of chapter 23 of Second Samuel, is remembering 
He's remembering how God spoke through him. This is almost like a specific claim to inspiration. It's not pride. It's just that he feels so incredibly blessed of God to be able to be a vehicle through whom God has been able to communicate. So here's the verse. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. He recognizes the hand of God on his life. Through the years of walking with God, And you know David didn't do it perfectly. There were flaws in his armor. But he's aware that God has had his hand upon him and protected him and given him success. Do you know that in your own life? We feel so inadequate at times and weak and lacking in confidence. But God has his hand upon your life. And as you roll that rock over... It's not a pride-filled thing. It's a confidence that God wants you to have. That you carry your identity well as a child of God. You are a child of God. You're his daughter. You're his son. And he wants you to walk in this life in confidence of his calling and his leading. He has so much for you. And when you lift up your head, And you lift up your heart and say, God, I'm going to walk forward in the confidence that you have called me. And I don't need to be afraid. That's not pride. That's faith. And sometimes it will bring you up against all odds. But he will teach you one step at a time to trust him with the next steps. And you'll learn from your past. And you can trust him more as you walk into the future. But here's the second rock to look under. Honoring those who team with you in your journey. Who is walking alongside of you? Have you ever said thanks to them? Have you ever blessed them? Before the historian puts down his pen, before he completes the story of David's life and leadership, he wants us to meet the close members of his team. David, as you know, was called into service as a young shepherd boy. But David came into a very fragile kingdom. The Philistines were were fierce in the land of Israel. But when David leaves his office, now at the end of his time, things are assembled and things are back in order. David has been quite a warrior. But the historian wants us to know that David did not fight his battle single-handedly. Oh, not at all. He wants us to meet the knights of the round table all 37 men who were close to his heart, and every one of them were willing to die for David if need be. They came to him from all over the geographical regions of Israel. They were the ones who fought with him. They were the ones who established the kingdom. They were the ones who pushed back territory and and extended the kingdom. They fought the battles. And they moved Israel forward. They were the ones who stood in front of David like a shield to take the bullet or the spear or the knife. They protected him. These were the 37 men who composed the knights of David's round table. And there were three that were David's chief men. Kind of made me think of uh, the 12 disciples of Jesus. 
Uh, Jesus had his inner three, Peter, James, and John. And David had his three musketeers. They were the mightiest of the mighty. They were the best of the best. They were the strongest of the strong. And the writer tells us that one of the inner three was Jehoshubim, the Hakamite. There'll be a test afterwards to see if you can remember these names. He was the leader of the three, the mightiest warriors among David's men. He was uh, used to he, he once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. This guy is a Navy SEAL. He's incredible. The second man that was part of the inner circle was a man called Eleazar. He was a brilliant and strategic fighter. You can go to 1 Chronicles 11, get a little more information on this guy. And once when David and Eleazar were together, I don't know this for sure, but it kind of feels like they taunted the Philistines. And the Philistines got angry and attacked the Israeli forces. And the soldiers of David got out of town as fast as they possibly could, leaving Eleazar and David alone to fight off the Philistines. And it says that they fought through the morning and it, they fought through the afternoon until Eleazar's hand became so cramped that it was frozen to the sword. <laughs> One translation says his hand was frozen to the sword. Another said he couldn't let it go. Did you ever have that happen to you? You squeeze so hard, you, you, your hand went into a cramp, and you, you could not open it. It just was there. Eleazar was a mighty warrior, and he and David fought all day long, and Israel won the victory that day because God was with them. The third man that, that formed the inner threesome was a guy called Shammah. Verse 11, one time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Amazing, guys. What teammates for David? I mean, he had a ragtag group of guys that worked with him, and they loved him, and he formed them into a group of guys that were fiercely loyal. And if we could read about their background before meeting David, if we could know who these guys were, we would say, how in the world did he ever pull that off? Only God. So these were the three inner war cabinet generals. They were the kind of men who surrounded David. You know, one of the tests of a leader is to ask if anybody's following him or her. <laughs> Are you serving as a leader in your workplace, in your church, in your family? Anybody following? Another test of a leader is to look at her staff or his staff and see the quality of people who are loyal. David was a commander, not of a bunch of kids, but of seasoned guys who were laying down their lives every day for the cause and for their leader. It was really amazing. 
how devoted people can get to a leader and to a cause. We get too busy in the midst of pressure and busyness to actually stop and say thanks to the team of people who surround us. But when you have a unified group of men and women who surround you, you are extremely blessed. Amen? I don't want to embarrass our staff, but we really do have a great team. They have great hearts, and they completely invest in the cause of Christ. Every one of them, totally in, every one. Soon we're going to have a couple more staff members. We'll tell you about that on March 12th at our congregational meeting. But it appears that God has gone ahead of us and has put his hand on some people who have wonderful hearts and are passionate about serving him. And I'm really excited uh, for the staff that's being formed at TCC and over at Southwest because there are things happening there as well. Where you work and serve, I mean, you may have a large staff, you may have a small staff. If God has called you to a leadership role, think about those that he's placed around you. Can you find a way to bless them? Can you mold them into a team? Can you help them see their value as a leader alongside of you? You can see your family as a, as a team. And, and you can ask, how can I build value into my home team? Maybe it's just saying, wow, you do that so well. You're incredible. You've learned that so well. Or where did you ever come up with an idea like that? That is great. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's some kind of tutoring. Maybe it's attending their games, their activities, and cheering them on. You're building a team. Honoring those who team with you in your ministry. Then thirdly, Valuing the honor or commitment of followers. Valuing the commitment of followers. There's an amazing story here told by the writer of 2 Samuel illustrating the loyalty of the followers of David. If you recall, David had been anointed king, but he was a king without a kingdom, right? He was pursued by, Paul, by, by Saul the king, and the Philistines were everywhere. So David wasn't just running from the king, King Saul, he was also running from the Philistines. And wherever he went, it seemed like he was dodging a bullet. Like, where is a safe place to be here? I'm running from my commander-in-chief, but I'm also running from the enemies. So he was holed up at the cave of Adullam. And if you've ever been there on a tour of Israel, you must go there. Uh, you, you, you will see some of the rugged territory where David and his men found refuge, especially the area around En Gedi. I don't know if we've got a picture there or not. There might be a picture of a, of a cave. Um, but let's hear the story. 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 to 17. I'm reading it from uh, the message. One day during harvest, the three parted from the 30 and joined David at the cave of Adullam. A squad of Philistines had set up camp in the valley of Rephium. While David was holed up in the cave, the Philistines had their base camp in Bethlehem. David had a sudden craving and said, Would I ever like a drink of water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem? So the three penetrated 
the Philistine lines drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem and brought it back to David. But David wouldn't drink it. He poured it out as an offering to God saying, there's no way, God, that I'll drink this. This isn't mere water. It's their lifeblood. They risk their very lives to bring it. So David refused to drink it. And then the little caption, this is the sort of thing that the three did. Well, men came to David from every part of the kingdom. They were drawn by his magnetism. They were easily aligned to his cause. And even though David was really in a posture of weakness, they found their way to him. I mean, pretty incredible to draw people even when you feel down and out. And that was David. He was still drawing people to his side. And then one day, I mean, just another day in the life of living like a refugee, of feeling the heat both physically and emotionally, David let out a little sigh. It would be so wonderful to have a drink from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. Oh, that is such good water. That's all he said. That's all he said. That's what David said out loud, not even thinking that this crazy, loyal, ragtag group of guys would take him seriously and actually try to get him a drink of water. What was David really saying? I mean, it's doubtful that his men around him really heard what he was saying, that deeper sigh. It was a sigh for freedom. David's longing was for so much more than a drink of water. He needed to feel again the freedom to come and go. He desired to, to go back to a less complicated life. I don't like dodging bullets. He needed to be reassured about God's blessings on his life. And that was the real blessing amidst his words. That it would be awesome to have some of that good Bethlehem water. He remembered that water as a kid. But the story is placed in God's word just to tell us the caliber of men with whom David surrounded himself. They treated his wish almost as a command. And they risked their lives fighting their way through the Philistine garrison in order to bring their leader a drink from the well. I mean, these guys have gone down in history. That's the guys who, who went the extra mile. Oh my, they were crazy. They were crazy to try that, to pull off a stunt like that. But they loved David. They were enthusiastic, unselfish, full of courage, in an effort to please their leader. But friends, isn't this the kind of loyalty that Jesus needs from each of his children? That his slightest wish that would be considered by us as our command, that we would joyfully do it, whatever the cost? Would you say, Lord, oh, you want me to do that? I'd be happy to do that. Your slightest wish is my command, Lord. I grew up in the little town of, uh, close to the little town of Troshu. If you don't know where Troshu is, maybe you know where Three Hills is. Uh, and grew up in the farm. Saturday was often the day that uh, our family went to town to shop. Now, no big deal if you live in the city going to town. If you live out in the country, you never see civilization for a whole week. It was a big deal to go to town when you lived on the farm. You got to go to town on Saturday. And my favorite place to go, if my parents could spare a quarter, was to the drugstore 
and they had a little coffee bar, but there they made chocolate milkshakes in those little metal containers, you know, with the little mixer. Oh, that was my delight. We couldn't always afford the 25 cents, but I had my share of milkshakes over the years, I can tell you. If I was David, I would have said, oh, to be able to go and have a good old chocolate milkshake like I used to do. Now we go to Starbucks and we shell out five bucks for a caramel macchiato. And they're great, but doesn't compare to a good old chocolate milkshake. And there are days now I can still see myself perched on that little stool, red stool, in the drugstore, drinking a milkshake. For David, there was some nostalgia for his days of growing up. He remembered as a boy drinking from that well. But it was also a desire for promise. He was looking forward to the day that Israel would be sole occupants of all the land and, the, and he would be their king. So if he, could, he would have drawn water from that well, it meant that Israel would have been in control of Bethlehem. I mean, it was David looking down the road and hoping. Those three big boys said, how could we get that for him? And off they went. Let's get the boss some water. It was quite a hike under the blazing sun. And they broke through the enemy lines. That means they probably had to decommission quite a few of the Philistines. But they broke through somehow without getting killed. They filled their water pouch. They scampered back to the safety of the cave. And that's amazing. Isn't it amazing to have people like that on your team? I know it personally. People so loyal, so dedicated, and they go out of their way to serve you as a Christian leader. And these men around David's cave there must have felt like they were, they were giving a Christmas gift to their best friend. You know how you're sitting around in a circle on a Christmas day when you exchange gifts and you're saying, I really hope they like what I got for them. I mean, it's nice to get something, but, but you're really excited for what you gave to somebody else and they opened it and you can see they're very pleased with it. That's the biggest delight is that they like it. And they're telling David about their adventure and breaking through enemy lines and running up to the well and filling up the water skins and then just running for the hills. And David listens to all of this and he takes that water and he just, I don't know, I better not pour that. He, he pours it out on the ground until there's a puddle at their feet. He refuses to drink it. He can't drink that water. He's saying, I'm not worthy of that. After all you've done for me, the way you sacrificed, and I just sit here and drink the water, I can't do that. That's not right. No, that water is an offering to God. Listen, friend, here's a principle. He took the devotion that was given to him, and he gave it to God. He gave that devotion that was given to him. He gave it to God. Yeah. That's why people love David. There was no culture of entitlement. Isn't that refreshing to see in a leader? Hey, you got the water yet? Where are the ice cubes? Not a chance. 
This water is as precious as the blood of these men. Did he ever value them? Hey, friends, you got a group around you? At home? At work? In your friendship circle? Do you have eyes to see what they do for you? How can you bless your family? How can you bless your colleagues? How can you come alongside? Maybe today, let's just let someone know what they mean to you. So three thoughts this morning. We'll wrap it up. Maybe there's one rock that you turned over that you can take some action on. I don't know. Number one, honoring those whose shoulders you stand upon. Maybe it's a note to that person if they're still alive. Maybe it's just a deep recognition before God. Just a recognition that God graciously put somebody in your life for you to stand on. How many have people like that in your life? Honoring those who team with you in their journey. When you don't care who gets the credit, you, you, you don't care what role you play. We're working for the kingdom. We have one objective. Sometimes the, the church loses sight of, of our, object, our objective. The object, objective is always to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Always. That's what it's about. And God gives us wonderful, mighty warriors to join our team and they bless us. So just rejoice in your team. And then value the commitment of people around you. They love you and they walk with you. And some of them would break into enemy territory to get you a drink of fresh Bethlehem water. Isn't that awesome? They're the people God has given you. Rejoice. You know who they are. Give thanks. Give thanks. Amen. Would you just bow your head with me for a moment? Would you just take a moment of quietness and just tell God what's in your heart? You're thinking something. Maybe God's putting that thought in your heart. Would you ask God, what do I do with what I've heard? Why is this in front of me right now? Because he always has a timing. And we'll just quieten our hearts. Lord, why was this important to us right now? What do you want me to see? What do I do with this? So, Lord, thank you for your whispers. Uh, thank you for the men and women and uh, friends whose shoulders we stand upon. Thank you for those who team with us. Thank you for the commitment of men and women and young people and children who want to make a difference in our world today. 
We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen.